0: Welcome to the Women Advancing Privacy. This is the second edition. and We have here the amazing Dr. Anne Kavokin. As everybody knows, she is the inventor of privacy by design. So this is the topic we are going to discuss today. She is also the executive director of the Global Privacy Security by Design Center. And she was previously three-term privacy commissioner of Ontario. So today we are going to have an amazing discussion about privacy by design and how it's applicable today in AI and the ISA certification. And before we start, a quick word about me. So I'm Luisa Jarovski. I'm a PhD researcher and at Tel Aviv University. I'm also the author of the Privacy Whisper newsletter. Uh, and if you want to get uh, information about the next events, please, please subscribe, you can see here the, the URL. Uh, I'm also the founder of Implement Privacy, uh, Privacy Academy. And a little bit about this event. So Women Advancing Privacy, it started spontaneously on LinkedIn. We, we realized that there was this, this whole movement and in this privacy field, there are so many amazing women making the difference. And there was no space for us to showcase the, the work of these amazing women. So this is, I'm so happy to be here with Dr. Anne Kavok in this sec, second edition of the event. And and if you want to, to get to know about the next ones, please subscribe to The Privacy Whisper. So today, um, more or less the four main areas that we are going to discuss. I think we will let the conversation flow and there will probably be sub, sub questions within these topics. But first, we are going to talk about the origins of Privacy by Design. So we talked so much about it, but what, what would be better than hear from the inventor of Privacy by Design? What is it about and how, what's the story behind the, the, the beginning of it all? Um, Second thing, we are going to to discuss how Privacy by Design is essential for businesses today. So it's almost 30 years old and it's still essential for business. And the second topic is the ISO certification. So in 2023, there is a new Privacy by Design ISO certification. She's, She's going to talk to us about it. And lastly, as today, no event can go on without talking about AI and chatbots. So we are going to talk about how Privacy by Design makes sense or well, how can we connect the two fields of Privacy by Design and AI, and what? how can we make of it? What, what can we make of it? And if you have questions, I ask you, please, to write them down while we are speaking. And I'm going to open for questions after we discuss the, the main topics, also because it's difficult for me to, to speak and moderate. So let's please write them down as we speak. And then we'll have time for questions after the, the four main topics. So let's begin, uh, specifically about the origins of Privacy by Design. And uh, for those who don't know, Privacy by Design is almost 30 years old. It's unbelievable, right? How, what the strength of this uh, this field. Will uh, we'll be 30 years old and and it's so influential. So uh, there, there were some, uh, I, I want to hear from, I, I will let Anne tell the story as she has uh, f- unique, of course, she's <laughs> the inventor. And uh, so please tell us then, how did it all begin? Where did you? where did it come from? I want to hear your perspective. Of
1: course, thank you, Louisa. That was a lovely introduction. I want to talk about when I was first appointed a Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada in 1997. It was wonderful, I was very excited, but you see, I wasn't a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, I'm a psychologist. My PhD is in psychology and law. So I studied the law, but in the context of psychology. So when I was appointed commissioner, I went to the office. There were brilliant lawyers there who wanted to apply the law to the fact situation of a data breach or privacy impraction and get a good resolution. And that was very important. But what I wanted in addition to that was something proactive, something that could ideally the harms from arising, avoid the privacy harms altogether. So I literally created privacy by design at my kitchen table over three nights. (laughs) And I took it into the office to sell it to the lawyers, if you will because it was a very different approach than the legal uh, approach. And I told them there's lots of room for both. You wanna be proactive, try to prevent as many privacy harms as you can, bake it into the code, bake it into the design of your operations. But then if privacy infractions and data breaches arise, then you apply the law to remedy the situation immediately. So I said, it's a win-win. And they accepted that and it worked very well. And then it grew dramatically. Um, In 2010, it was unanimously uh, approved as a uh, standard of the Global Privacy Commission's data protection authorities at a conference. We have a conference once a year. So they completely endorsed it as a privacy standard in 2010. And then it was included, as you know, in the General Data Protection Regulation that came into effect in 2018. They included privacy by design and privacy as the default, which is the second of seven foundational principles and one of the essentials. Because privacy as the default says to individuals, look, you don't have to search through, read pages and pages to find the opt-out box to say, do not use my personal information for any purpose other than the primary purpose of the data collection that I've consented to. Nobody has time to read through pages and pages of things again, but it doesn't mean that people aren't concerned about privacy. Concern about privacy is at an all time high. In the last two years, all of the public opinion polls have come in at the 90 percentile. 90% of individuals very concerned about their privacy. 92% concerned about loss of control over their personal information. And privacy is all about personal control over the use and disclosure of your, your information. So. This is how it grew. And more like 25 years later, it became an ISO standard. And let me tell you, that took a long time. It was five years in the making. The International Standards Organization just devours everything associated with, with what we're seeking approval for. And that's why it takes so long. But it just got approved two weeks ago. So 25 years in the making, we now have an ISO standard for privacy by design, PBD, um, ISO 31700. So I'm so excited about that because now it's global. I'm getting calls from all over the world, literally, uh, Japan, Australia, Brazil. Anyway, that's what it's all about.
0: Uh, fascinating, and yeah. So, uh, and, and I know I want to to hear from you. So, in the beginning, when you proposed this very interdisciplinary approach to privacy and and talking about defaults, did you did you find any resistance for, from lawyers or what did they say at the time? It was it was very different from what we are using. So, what was the the reception? Just a, a, a tiny bit of resistance because. It, you know, we all have privacy
1: laws and in that, in the privacy laws, it says you've got the law, you apply it to the harm that arises and you get an amicable resolution. But the thing is, what I was proposing proactively to prevent the harms, it wasn't in the law. Uh, It's in the laws now, new laws that are coming out, um, like Brazil last year. They've included privacy by design in it and the GDPR. So it's coming out now, but back then it wasn't part of the law. Mm-hmm. And so my entreaty to the my lawyers was bear with me. We're going to apply the law very strongly. But this can be in addition to the law. And I think it will give us much greater credibility uh, to the public that we're trying to prevent the privacy harms from arising in the first place. So That's, and you know was interesting, in 2010 when it was approved by all the lawyers and the privacy commissioners and data protection authorities as a international standard in Europe, it was approved and I spoke to many and it was unanimously approved. And I spoke to many of the commissioners afterwards because I know they're lawyers, lawyers, brilliant. And I said, I'm delighted, but I'm surprised you all approved this. And they said, Anne, in this day and age, privacy laws are just hitting the tip of the iceberg the really egregious interventions that need to be addressed, the majority of the iceberg we're missing out on. So we have to find a way to prevent them, not just address the harms after they arise. So that's how all this was accepted by the lawyers.
0: And, and do you think that your background as a psychologist, what what did it, did it give you any special leverage? What, what do you think about it? Well, it
1: was because I studied psychology and the law. I, I taught at the, the law school, believe it or not, a very different approach, and I worked with my, my first jobs before um, all of this was I was working for the attorney general. Uh, the deputy, I'll never forget, the deputy minister hired me. He liked the work I did at the university. And he said, look, you're gonna to have to convince my lawyers, but I can give you a one-year contract and we'll see if you can convince them of privacy by design beforehand. And I said, that's great, give me a chance. So I started there and then eventually I rose to lead the department because
0: everybody was on side. So that's how it all developed. Amazing. And you mentioned a few laws, so let, let's let's move to the second topic, how privacy by design is still essential for businesses, especially today. And you mentioned the GDPR, of course, Article 25, privacy by design, data protection by design and by default. Also, now in California, right, there was the, the after the amendment, now it's also uh, foreseen by the California legislation. And Brazil, the Lei Geral de Proteção de Dados, also requires uh, privacy by design. So it's a global influence and and why do you think, what's special about today? Did did it change a lot from the, well, let's hear from you.
1: Uh, Louisa, what's special about today is the massive amount of surveillance that is growing on a daily basis. I mean, it is just almost shocking to say that. Just about everything you do potentially can gain access to your personally identifiable data and engage in surveillance. Data brokers are abounding. They're enormous. So concern for privacy is at an all-time high, as I mentioned earlier, and businesses on that if they want to keep the customers that they have and attract new opportunity, they're going to have to sell privacy as part of what they're offering because that's what people are demanding and you get you gain from it enormously. It advances your business interests. You know, companies that have become certified for privacy by design have told me afterwards, it gives them a competitive advantage over the other guys who don't protect privacy with the way they do. So when you present it to businesses as a win, then it goes a long way. I speak to many boards of directors and CEOs. And when I first go in there, you know, their heads are down. They think I'm gonna tell them things they don't like. And I say, give me 10 minutes. Give me 10 minutes to advance my message of privacy and data utility, privacy and security, not versus, not the old zero-sum dated mindset of either or. No, you need positive sum. You need privacy and fill in the blank. And when I tell them that, that this can act as an advantage to their business interests, they're on board. They're delighted. They want to hear all about it. And that's how we have to present it. Privacy is not a negative. It is a positive. And you know, at a societal level, it forms the foundation of our freedom. We have to have privacy and companies can benefit from this enormously.
0: Yeah, and, and what what you said about the, the incentives for companies, I think in the last few years, and I, I say that because it's one of the topics of my PhD, the topic of dark patterns in privacy, right? So the idea of that UX, the interfaces can have uh, tricks or can, can Push people to do things that they didn't want to do with their data, and it brings again the attention to design and to privacy by design. So there were recent cases when we talk about companies and incentives, fines are always important, right? There, there need to be. I have this uh, this perspective, and I think it's clear that when we have regu- regulation and fines coming, it it really shows that it matters. And the, and if you don't do it, if you don't, if you consider it secondary, the, the, there will be monetary fines. So there were the uh, one about Ep- the, don't if you if you saw the FTC one, the Epic Games, 520 million. And there was a children's privacy and deceptive design, but both involve issues of design and, and lack of uh, this in- privacy implementation in the design level. And this we, we said about the FTC, so also in Europe, there was a, a, a very recent one, the, the CNIL, the French authority versus Discord. Also, talking about, and they cited article 25 and a case where the user was closing a window and it was it, was, it didn't actually close it. So the person was being recorded. So recently, I, I see a lot, and as I wrote my article about dark patterns in privacy in 2021, and there were no cases, it was just the, the Norwegian report. And now we see it in, in, a, in, a period, in the period of a year, and now also dark patterns in privacy is mentioned in, in the DSA and uh, the California legislation. So it also brings attention to privacy by design and this more general idea that privacy is is interdisciplinary and it should be embedded in the design. So I think it's it's also a it's a, a parallel conceptual line of dark patterns and the idea of specifically the UX and the interface and and tricks to collect more more or more sensitive data. Yes, they also brought a new new wave of attention to privacy by design, and, and we see in every in uh, specifically. Uh, in the CNIL or in the, in other cases involving cookies, we see it, Article Twenty Five more and more mentioned. Right, privacy by default and by design. So it's it's fascinating to see that, that there is the surveillance element and, and the environment, and also this also the conceptual line of discussing more dark patterns. Uh, we will bring more, also more more attention to, to this. Okay. Uh, and about now, let's talk about the, the ISO certification. So it's super recent, right? Super fresh. Uh, Two weeks. <laughs> So uh, I, I what what I read. Tell me if I'm wrong. There are two. There are two parts of the. You will explain much better than me. But there are two parts. One is there are high level requirements, and the second part are the use cases and how to apply those. Is it right? And yeah. I think many people here they are part of large companies, small companies, medium companies. How do we apply? How, how, what do we have to do to be compliant or to to be so
1: assertive? I'm urging everyone to go to ISO and look at ISO 31700. That's the international standard for privacy by design, because there are the immediate um, things which you can engage in. There are three, not requirements, but three areas that you should apply in terms of responsibility for privacy and data protection, the ethical environment. And I wanna talk about ethics and AI Um, right after this, because that is growing dramatically. So please uh, go to ISO 31700 and take a look at the requirements, or there's just three things, it's not a big deal. But then there's the use cases, which you might find very useful, if you can just dig deep into it. But could we just turn for a moment to AI and all of the things that are happening now? Absolutely, yeah. Because with artificial intelligence, and don't get me wrong, I'm the magic of AI, it it enables so much to take place. So I'm not opposed to AI, but I want you to have someone on staff who can look under the hood, so to speak. You wanna make sure that that AI is working in a privacy respectful manner. We have to know what it's doing in terms of any personally identifiable data that it comes into contact with. How is it used? Is it disclosed to unauthorized third parties? We, there's so many questions. So just because it's artificial intelligence doesn't mean you go free, you do whatever you want. No, we always have to look under the hood at the technology, at how it's working, and is it achieving the intended goal that is intended to achieve, plus protecting privacy. Data protection has to be embedded into the AI. And that's why it's so critical. And these days, it's you know with OpenAI and, and ChatGPT, it's amazing. I mean, really, I when we first found out about it about a month or two ago, my, my husband just entered my name to see what it would come up with. It came up with things I, I have completely forgotten. I mean, out of my mind, I couldn't believe how thorough it was. And it it's excellent for factual information and things. But we also have to be careful because in that context, is there a sense of data protection and privacy built into it? So that it wouldn't reveal any personally identifiable data that it happens to come into contact with. These are the questions we always have to examine.
0: Yeah, about AI, that was uh, I was I had three points here that I discuss a lot at the privacy Whisperer and people. They they're eager to hear about it. We are everybody's talking about the hype and the fascination, and I see our role in the privacy community as to to see the, the possible risks or possible harms, and some of the the, the important points I. I've thought about is, first is the, the data collection, right? So they use p- publicly available uh, data and personal data to train the, 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 the AI system or the machine learning system. And it's not clear if it, there is any sort of masking of personal PII. We, we don't know, they're they're they they ambiguous about it. And in any case, I think there is a, the concept of contextual integrity, right? Ellen Isenbaugh, she said, that data is connected to the context where, where this data was produced. So let's imagine someone posted something publicly on, on Facebook, something personal, something intimate, I don't know. And let's let's imagine that they, they use, they say that whatever, you, if you posted anything before 2021 or 20 uh, uh, online publicly, it, it was used to train the, the system. So let's imagine you posted something for that specific context of your Facebook page. So it was used to train a machine and it can be spelled out by the machine in, in an un, unconnected situation that you didn't imagine. And so first is a contextual integrity problem, which is very, let's say, in, in a some level it is theoretical, but it, it is privacy. Privacy is contextual. So it's, it's one level that I see. The second one the second problem is the high rate of hallucination so there is this, this thing that they say when the machine uh, hallucinates right so i heard 15 to 20 percent of everything in the example of chat gpt3 i don't know if the new one that they just launched is a better rate or is of, better yeah so i i hope so so i heard let's say this the previous one 15 to 20 so in there, there were some scandalous cases of reputation of potential reputational harm when i, I heard about uh, well it's it's all by statistical association so th- there is potential to when you associate personal information with, with with facts that are not related to that person so potential to uh, reputational harm and a third level that i, I also thought that it has to we, we have to think it's it's not it's privacy invasive. And if we think about privacy by design, those, those points that I'm saying that they don't they don't match, right? We, we need to think how to, uh, to implement privacy by design in AI. So there's also the issue of impersonation. So many of those chatbots, they, they use this first language and they use some of them, not chat GPT, but some they use emoticons and they try to be very intimate and some of them they are like personal counselors of the, the, the individual. And it will push the person to to reveal. The person will think that is talking to a human being, and we reveal much more. The the person doesn't realize that everything that the person is typing there will be reused to train the machine and maybe uh, intimate information. So all those issues, they are very New and I don't think the law is prepared yet. And and I think privacy by design is a good conceptual framework to, to and, help. And that's it. When I talk to
1: coders and people who write these programs, machine learning, <laughs> please, before you embark on this, have someone on board who understands privacy and data protection so that they can review what you've done when you write this code in machine learning, and then it's ready to show it to them, walk them through all the things it can do. Because you have to proactively have some idea of is it invading privacy in terms of personally identifiable data and uh, using information that was never consented to and disclosing it to uh, data brokers and third parties. I mean, all kinds of harms can arise from this. So I'm just reaching out to coders and all the people involved in AI, which I favor enormously, but you got to look under the hood before you put it out there to ensure that privacy and data protection are embedded therein.
0: Yeah, I I feel, I don't know if you agree with me. So I feel that we, as lawyers, sometimes we have this challenge of interdisciplinarity. So if we want to, let's say, regulate or talk about AI, we need to more or less understand how machine learning works, how the training works. So we have this challenge to, as people from the humanities, to learn about the technical side. What I think it's missing, and maybe some engineers will think that I'm wrong, is that also the opposite, right? So the guys from the technical side, the guys who are doing the code, when we are talking about now, let's say this AI that was thrown into the wild and everyone is using, I'm not sure they have enough training on our side, on the ethical perspective, on privacy. So let, let's just remind re- what we just said about uh, contextual integrity, um, reputational harm, impersonation. Are, are those engineers being trained in all those? Uh, let, inter-
1: let, let's be realistic, Louisa. You're not going to get engineers who are brilliant coders, machine learning, etc learning all that stuff. It, it's not going to happen. They might know a little bit about it. And that's why when I talk to companies who are doing this, I say, look, it would be great if your engineers knew how to do these things. I'm guessing their focus is different. They want to write the code. Machine mm. learning is not something you just pick up overnight. It's extremely difficult and focused. And so what I urge them to do is get someone on board who does know privacy and data protection, has a background, and can go through the code. Obviously, has to have some Coding knowledge, but that can then review the code and bring it to the intention of the engineers. Um, over here, it collects way too much personally identifiable data without any consent. Get rid of that. You know, so you need someone who has that background and experience who can then speak to the coders and the machine learning tech to guide them in the right direction. That's what I mean by look under the hood. That he's got to, he or she has to work with
0: the the, the coders. Yeah. It's, it's good actually. Your perspective brings more work to uh, us privacy professionals. Right? <laughs> it, it, uh, there yeah. you go. Um, that's it. So we, we, we finished with the four main topics. Uh, yeah, I want to, to open for questions. Just two quick announcements before we open for questions. So, f- the first one if you want to get informed about the next Women Advancing Privacy events, sign up for the Privacy Whisperer and also to receive, of course, to receive weekly privacy insights in your email. And second, I'm leading a four-week course about uh, dark patterns and privacy-enhancing design. So starting in April, if you want to join to advance your career, to bring this competitive advantage, please get in touch with me. Uh, Please write your questions down in the chat. I'm going to read it and ask for Dr. Anka Booking. There's a question from Alexandre Borlan. What do you think is the implication of privacy by design in the context of the AI black box argument, right? In the sense that we don't know what's what's behind, what, what's the code, how, how do you think and that it applies?
1: I don't accept that. Um, the AI black box, maybe in terms of the coding and the machine learning model, but in terms of privacy, and we we're not allowed into the black box to see if any personally identifiable data is being used or abused. I reject that. We have to be able to look under the hood. In whatever manner the coders devise, as I said, talk it through. Machine learning is complicated. They're writing amazing code. But that doesn't mean it's inaccessible. It's impossible to to look at and review.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So another question from Michael. In light of studies showing that even anonymized data sets 99.98 99.98 uh, of Americans were accurate. Ah, uh, sorry. In light of studies showing that even anonymized data sets, 99, 99.98 of Americans were accurately re identified using only 15 data points. AI could certainly accelerate the process of potentially use less data points. How can we maintain privacy by preventing AI targeting anonymized data sets from breaking privacy?
1: An- anonymized, when you refer to an anonymized data set, it depends on the quality of the anonymization. It, it, you can't just, you know, take the name and ID off. You have to go to great lengths to truly anonymize the data. There's something called synthetic data, which oh, wow. is led by Dr. Khaled Elim, which is amazing. It literally recreates the data in synthetic form, but preserves the, the essentials of the information without any personally identifiable data. It is about, I'm not gonna say it's impossible. Nothing's impossible, but it is extremely difficult to re-identify a data from synthetic data. So that's what I urge people to look at. You're right. If you just look at the normal ways of de-identifying data and they call it, it's anonymized, that's not enough. You have to go much higher. And one of the examples I point to is synthetic data. So please look at that.
0: Okay, so this uh, last question and we we will finish session from from Carolina Nova. What's the most essential part in privacy by design? Very often there is massive data collection that. Data protection lawyers can't detect since it's too technical. Is it lawyers, privacy engineers? So what do you think? Um, and that's what I tell people. The technical part comes from
1: the coding and de-identifying all of that, which we were just talking about. But the essentials of privacy, uh, data protection are simple. You need to de-identify the data, meaning no personal identifiers, none linked to the data such that the data can be used you know, for a number of data utility purposes. And business purposes, absolutely. As long as the personal identifiers are stripped from the data and you have to go to great lengths to ensure that the stripping is strong. Because most privacy laws apply to personally identifiable data. Once the data are considered no longer personally identifiable, privacy laws don't apply to it. So go to great lengths to simplify the whole process. Privacy is all about preserving the ability of the data subject to determine the use and disclosure of that personal information. If you don't have any personal identifying data linked to the data, and you have to go to great lengths to ensure that for sure, then you are free to engage in the
0: uses of the data much more directly, so go for it. Do you want to, to say, I think you, you said your message You. For people to go to the ISO website, right? It's very important. Do, if you want to, ha- to have a final uh, tip or for, for I, I think I many people here, they are part of companies and they want to really want to be compliant. Want to?
1: I just want to remind people because it's getting harder. You know, I, I tweet every morning the latest privacy stories of them. Usually there's one person who tweets back and says, lady, give it up. Privacy is dead. That ship has sailed. And I tweet back and I say, you give it up. What do you mean? Get another ship? You don't give up on privacy. It forms a foundation of our freedom. Do you know how important freedom is? I can tell you, uh, my, my background, I'm Armenian. I know exactly how important freedom is. So you essentially never give up on freedom, never give up on privacy. There's always ways to address surveillance. It's always going to be there. We can address it. We have multiple ways and new technologies occurring every day. So please be with me on this. Fight for privacy. We can do
0: this. Um, well, very inspiring and strong, and amazing way to 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 close the session. So thank you, Anne, so much. Uh, you know, I'm a fan. I'm super honored and excited <laughs> and happy that you're here. You're very kind. Uh, thank you, everyone, for for joining this session. So this recording will be available on my YouTube channel for I I, I will put it. Uh, I think Saturday night I will put it there. Uh, if you want to get informed about the next event, sign up for the Privacy Whisperer. And see you in the next Women Advancing Privacy event.